Hey guys, uh, I walked up here way too early, so I had like a good like 15 seconds to just stand up here awkwardly. Um, how is everybody today? That was sad, but whatever. All right, uh, my name is Dustin. Welcome to Revolution Church. If this is your first time, welcome. We're glad to have you guys. Um, David Dowdy is not here again this week, so tonight we have Rick Clark, who's going to be bringing the message. So, um, yeah, we're glad to have Rick here. Um, so, a few quick announcements. Uh, we have three weeks left until the next, next trash pickup, so if you're interested in helping with that, find me, Steve, uh, Chris Jones, or Allie and AJ. Um, also, we have small groups, so if you are a small group leader, raise your hand. They're all in the back. Wow, that's awkward. We have Steve, uh, Ryan, and Chris. Yeah, behind the computer. So if you guys are interested in joining a small group, uh, find one of them. Um, We'll be glad to have you guys. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and pray. Uh, Chris is going to put some music on, and then we're going to get up and find somebody you don't know and say, hey. Um, So let's get started. Um, Father, I thank you for this time that you let us set aside to come together to worship and to learn more about your word and to learn more about you. Uh, I ask you, God, to prepare our hearts um, for the message that Rick is about to bring and prepare our hearts for the worship we're about to um, to participate in. Um, I thank you for everything you're doing in our church, and we just ask you to continue it. Um, In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, Revolution. Uh, What's up, Revolution? Is that what you're supposed to say? What's up, Revolution? And then, yeah, you guys are supposed to scream, and then I'm going to say, that wasn't good enough. And then I'm supposed to say, let's do it again. So I go, what's up, Revolution? And then you guys do it better. This is amazing. It's like we're all trained. Uh, hey, it is, it is really cool to, to be here uh, sharing with you and um, taking the time just to, to open up the word a little bit. And, and we're studying uh, the book of Philippians working our way through it, and I've, I've really enjoyed all the teaching that's gone on uh, as, as Dave has opened the book up. And so to, to kick it off tonight, we'll, to start the study of Philippians, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians. And so I, I want to, I want to, we'll have it on the overhead here, because I know you can't read your Bibles, which is really kind of strange. And I'm going to use the New International Version instead of the version that you have here. Um, I, I think it's clear enough in the things I'm going to share about this evening so if we go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, this is probably a passage most of you have really nailed down. It's one of the passages that I think of all the years that revolution's been going, this passage has been consistently brought out and, and should be because it's the center of everything that we are and everything that we believe. Christ, who knew no sin became sin, or God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I hope this thing stays on my ear all right. Let's, let's just start out here. This being the centerpiece, the gospel being the centerpiece, the fact is that you and I are, are completely broken in our sin. And so what God does in his amazing love, in a grace that we can't even explain, a love that we can't understand, he takes our sin and he places all of our sin and the punishment for our sin on his son and kills his son on the cross for you and for me in, in this act of love that 
that we can't really comprehend or describe. Um, I, I got a note sent to me yesterday, uh, a, a message a, a guy sent that I've been sharing Christ with for some time. And he wanted to know how come it was, it was easier for him to go to people and seek forgiveness from people, but it was so hard for him to go to God and ask God for forgiveness. He's not a believer. He, he's not a follower of Jesus at all, but, but he's, just, he's just asking the right questions. And I told him, I said, the reason why is because you don't understand the depth of the love of God, and I don't think any of us really do. The kind of love that would, that would kill their own for everyone else. Um, you know, I, I've got three children, and I've got eight grandchildren, and I, I love people. I, I love the folks at Christ Community Church. I love the folks at Revolution, but I, I would not kill my kids for any of you. Uh, there have been times in raising them I've wanted to kill them, but, but I wouldn't kill them for, for anyone. And so to try to understand this depth of love is really tough for us to grab onto, but you'll see how this is going to tie into our Philippians passage here in just a little bit. So God takes... God takes... <laughs> that's cool. Um, all, all of our sin, he places it on his son... His son pays the price for us, and then God looks at us through the blood of Jesus, and he pronounces us righteous for those of us who in faith put our trust and confidence in him. And so my question is this, so what? Because we all, I mean, I'm kind of figuring if you've come to Rev for a while, you're going, yeah, 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 we know that. We get that. We understand that. We, we hear it week in and week out. We have that. But the big question is, so what? What does that have to do with us? How does that fact alone impact your life and how does it impact my life? This, this is the big deal. And this is the deal where this guy standing up here talking to you tonight, this is where I fail miserably. This is where I fall down so often. It's, it's not that I'm not confident in what Jesus did for me. I'm, I'm way confident in it. It's not, it's not that I, I am not appreciative of it. I am so appreciative of it. I know that without it, I'm hopeless. But, but that's all for me. And so the question now is, so what? How does that, how does that impact my life? When I, when I come to faith in Jesus, and uh, let's see. I'm going to run over here real quick. Uh, I, this is my best illustration for you. I've shared it a number of times when I've taught in the past. But when I come to faith in Christ, and this is what I want you to get. When you come to faith in Jesus, it is so much more than you just going, okay, yeah, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is that guy, and I believe that he died for my sins. And I believe there's a God who created, and I don't really understand the creation, but I believe it. We have all this, we have this belief, but, but what I'm going to tell you is that kind of belief doesn't save you. That kind of belief doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. That kind of belief is the kind of belief that Satan has. That kind of belief is the kind of belief that the demons have. Matter of fact, James says, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe that and tremble. And so we, we got to know that just simply agreeing with the facts doesn't cut it. Okay, because if, if the demons believe that, if Satan believes that, we certainly know that their end is punishment. Their end is eternal damnation. So, 
So there's got to be something different about this thing we understand as faith. And the best way I can illustrate it, and that's why I grabbed this thing real quick, is tell me what this thing is. Good. It's a stool. And, and, and we know it's a stool. And you guys are going, Rick, that's it's really stupid. But no, this isn't really stupid. This is going to help you understand the faith that saves, the faith that, that, that God brings in you that allows you to trust in him. It's not just enough to go, I believe that's a stool. In the same way, it's not enough just to go, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. But in order for me to have the kind of faith that we would understand as saving faith, then I would do with my relationship with Jesus what I'm going to do with this stool. I believe it's a stool. I believe it will support me. And I believe it so much that I'm going to sit down on it. And so here I sit. And I'm not just telling you I believe it's a stool. I'm showing you I believe it's a stool. It, it impacts me. And so when you place your faith and your confidence in, in Jesus, what you're doing isn't just agreeing with facts. You're doing something much greater than that. What you're doing is, is you, are, you are saying, I, I not only believe it, I believe it so much that I, I am placing my entire existence and I'm betting everything on it. I'm placing everything on this. Listen, I'm going to go to my grave banking on the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. I'm going to my grave banking on the fact that he rose from the dead and not spiritually rose, but that he got up, walked out, and showed himself to all kinds. I'm banking on that when I draw my last breath, and I'm banking on it while I'm living this life right now. And that's where we get to the so what. When you place your faith and your confidence in Jesus, the change that takes place in your life is huge. It's so drastic that the only way Jesus would describe it to a guy named Nicodemus is that you would have to be born again. So when you, when you come to faith in Christ, the change that God does in your life by coming and living in you is so great that it's like starting life all over again, Jesus would say. Paul would say it's like becoming a new creation. Your old life has gone and everything else is new. Paul would also say over in the book of Romans, it's like the change is so great, it's like you died. And all of a sudden, this new person is living that's the change that takes place. That's the big deal when Christ comes and takes up residence in our hearts. And so my allegiance completely changes. I'm no longer serving myself and I'm no longer living for myself because that guy's dead. That, that life is over with. My allegiance now is to my king. My allegiance is solely to the one who gave himself for me. That's where my allegiance lies now. And, and, and not only does my allegiance change, but my goals change as well. My goals change. In the simplest terms, and we have this on the overhead, this quote, the goal of every Christian life, in the simplest terms I can say this, the goal of every Christian life is to be more like Christ. 
The goal of your life as a follower of Jesus is to be more like him. Now, we can, we can get all complicated and, and jump into all kinds of things, but time doesn't let me do that as I'm going over to Philippians. But in its simplest terms, that's the goal of your life and my life now. It isn't so that Rick Clark can all of a sudden realize himself and become more aware of himself and live for himself. It's so, that, it's so that Rick Clark can become more and more like Christ so that when people see me, when they hear me speak, when they observe my actions, they're in some strange way, they're observing Christ in action through this broken guy. And you're going to see Paul talking about that here in, in just a moment. And Ryan, Ryan dealt with this a little bit last week when, when he said that um, I'm, I'm no longer identified by my, by my past. What I've done, when, when Paul talks earlier in Philippians chapter 3, as Ryan spoke on last week, what, what, what God has done is, is he has taken the past and put it behind him so that Paul isn't concerned about the things behind him any longer. He's pressing on towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. His goals have completely changed. And then they've changed so much that he finds himself, Paul says, and this is where I want to land. He finds himself setting an example for other people to follow. Here's my question for you. Put that question on the overhead if you don't care. What would it look like if those around you followed your example of a Christian life? So now this, this is the question for you. I mean, this is the question for me. This is the question for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. What would it look like if all the people that, that are in your sphere of influence, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, uh, no matter where you find yourself, what if all of those people followed your example of a Christian life, what would their lives look like? Now, this is a big deal because in Philippians chapter 3, this is exactly what Paul's going to tell us. And he's not just going to say it in Philippians 3, but let's, I, I've got uh, five passages. Let's start with Philippians 3.17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Okay? Join together in following my example. Let's go to the next passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Can you say that about yourself to other people? Look, whatever, whatever you've heard me say, whatever you've seen in me, put it to practice. Put it into practice because I am showing you the way to Christ. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And what would it look like if people imitated you? The people that are around you. Let's go to the next one in 1 Corinthians 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And see, this is the principle that, that Paul is telling the church in Philippi. He's telling them, follow me, follow, follow my example. 
as I follow the example of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Now see, here's, here's what I hate about what I've been assigned. <laughs> when I ask myself the question, what would it look like if those who observed me followed my example of the Christian life? Man, I, I'm telling you, it bothers me to think about what I'd see. Now granted, none of us are perfect. But I gotta say this. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, don't you think that in your life there would be obvious growth in your life so that you would be able to look at other people and say, hey, I know you may not understand what Jesus is all about and what he looks like, but if you wanna know what that life is about, just, just follow me. Just follow my example because I'm trying. I'm trying to set an example for you to follow. As a matter of fact, I think each of us have to have two key people in our lives. We have to have a person ahead of us that we look to, that we're following. Someone who is setting the example for us. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. But not only do we need someone ahead of us so that we can see the example, but we need someone behind us that we're setting an example for. We need someone that we're bringing along. Listen, you and I don't, we don't get off according to the scripture of just going, okay, well, I'm a follower of Jesus and that's cool. And now I'm going to do the best I can to follow him. That's, we, don't, we don't get by with that. We're to be bringing people along. That's why I've loved the emphasis of revolution for all the years that, that you're to be actively engaging people with the gospel. Why should you do that? Because you're given the responsibility that every other follower of Jesus is given. The responsibility of bringing people along behind you. You're given that. As a matter of fact, I would guess that you wouldn't be sitting here tonight as a follower of Jesus, if someone hadn't poured into your life the gospel of Jesus. And in the same way that someone poured into your life, you and I, we're responsible to pour into the lives of others. And see, it's real easy for me to be doing that right now. I mean, I'm in church, and I'm on a stage with a microphone, and I'm supposed to be talking about Jesus. And so this is where it's real easy but this isn't where it all happens. It happens out, outside of these walls. That's why revolution picks up trash. That's why they have the cookouts. That's why different churches do what they do, hopefully to be able to engage the people that you come into contact with with the gospel. So if they, what, what I did is I wrote down six things. I just want to run through with you. Um, if people followed your example as a follower of Jesus, would they, first thing, would they live a life of worship? Now, I want you to get this. Would they live a life of worship? We, we, we mistake this a little bit. Worship for me had always been a service I went to. I was raised in a real boring Methodist Church in Virginia Beach. Uh, the most exciting sermon I think I ever heard. Uh, exciting, I don't know if that's the right word. Weirdest sermon I ever heard was balloons belong in church. I don't get it. 
That was the sermon title. And all I remember about it is at the end of the service, there's about 400 people in the sanctuary, the sanctuary, and, and, uh, and they all have a balloon. They passed out balloons. They said, now everybody blow up their balloons. And we blew up our balloons. And he said, now let them go. And we all let them go. And balloons flew all over the church. And preacher prayed and we left. That's the only sermon I remember in all the years of growing up in Virginia Beach at that church. That's it. But, but, um, but they believed what they held to was that this hour that you were together was a holy hour. And, and you had to be reverent because you were worshiping the God of the universe. As a matter of fact, when they were building the, the sanctuary that we, we ended up worshiping in, everything I'm saying is so, so wrong on every level. But anyway, I, I remember as a little kid walking through the construction and, and the uh, Sunday school teacher that was leading us through to show us the progress on the new sanctuary. Um, the, a, a, as we're walking through, she turns to us and she goes, shh. Be real quiet. God lives here. You want to freak a kid out? Just, just tell them that God's hanging out in this. I mean, I was petrified. As a matter of fact, this is crazy. I know it's crazy, but I'm just telling you the way. I'm just exposing myself here a little bit. When I come in here to Christ's community, and I'll, I'll have my keys, and I'll unlock the side door. Nobody's here. I'll be walking up the hallway up. And, and coming into this area and all the lights are out, I'm thinking, man, I'm just waiting for God to pop out. At, and it all goes back to that Sunday school teacher um, who probably thought the coolest sermon was balloons belong in church. I don't know. But, but anyway, we got this really messed up. Worship isn't confined to a place and neither is it confined to a time frame. In scripture, worship is your life. It's not singing and raising your hands, although worship is singing and raising your hands. But it's not just that. It's not getting together and studying the Bible, although worship is getting together and studying the Bible. But it's not just that. Worship is your life 24-7 lived in response to the fact that this God who is so far above us, we, we don't even really have the words to describe him. It's a response to the fact that he loves you so much that he would give his own son for you. What can you do in response to that? All you can do is live your life in response to that. What does it look like? What does that life look like? Because whatever that life looks like is that life that we're supposed to be living so that others can see Christ in us, living our lives 24-7 in response to what God has done for us. And I hope you grab that. Because, um, yeah, I'll give you this real quick. And I won't charge any extra because it's not in my notes. Um, this sanctuary thing, there's not a sanctuary in the New Testament. There is, but it's not the one we think. The sanctuary has been moved the sanctuary is no longer a building because God doesn't dwell in buildings made with hands. He doesn't hang out here. If we're not here, he's not here. Okay, he's not sitting there waiting. Man, I can't wait till the weekend again. Can't wait till everybody comes in so we can hang out together. He's not doing that because he's moved. Scripture says, don't you know 
that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, here's what he says when he uses the word temple. See, in, in the temple, in the Old Testament, when the Jews went to worship, there was the outer court where they would come. They would bring their sacrifices They would present them to the priests who would go to the inner court and present their sacrifices. And then in the inner court, there was this curtain. And behind the curtain was what we know as the Holy of Holies. And this is where the ark was. And the ark was to contain the presence of God, although really it couldn't. But just so that the Israelites could understand, God was in that room. He was in the Holy of Holies. Anytime a high priest went in to sacrifice for the nation of Israel, once a year, Day of Atonement, he would go in to the Holy of Holies. And when he would go in, he had to cleanse himself. He had to go through all this ceremonial cleansing. And then he had to put on this garb. And on this garb, there were bells on the bottom of the garb. Why were the bells there? The bells were there because when the priest went into this room, When he went into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God, he couldn't go and pull up a chair and hang out with God. See, God was so holy and he was so unholy. So he had to go in and he had to do his sacrifice stuff quickly, quickly. And and there was a method to it all and he did it and then he got out of the room. The reason the bells were there is as long as the guys on the outside of the curtain could hear the bells they knew that the priest was still alive and doing what he was supposed to do because if he, if he did something that he wasn't supposed to do in there, God would strike him dead. That's how holy God's presence is. So this unholy priest couldn't even operate within his presence. This isn't in the scripture, but it's in other Jewish literature that that the priest also had a rope around his ankle. Why was the rope around his ankle? The rope was around his ankle so that if he got in there and he did something wrong and the bells quit ringing and they went, okay, the dude's dead, how are we going to get him out of there? Because they couldn't go in and get him. I mean, there'd just be a pile of dead people in there. And so they, the, the, some of the Jewish literature said there was a rope tied around his ankle so that you could fish him out of there. And, and so I, I don't know how many high priests got fished out, uh, but that's not, that's not in the scripture, that's in other Jewish writings. Um, but what, the reason I'm bringing this up to you is this. When Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, this God who we worship and who we follow, who doesn't live in buildings made with hands, now lives right here. He came into you and you became the holy of holies. That's the the word that's used there for temple is the word that's used for holy of holies. So what that means is wherever you are, he is. Whatever you're doing, he's doing. That was the point he was making to the Corinthian church. Man, they were a jacked up bunch of people. Um, The Corinthian church they loved, they loved God, but they loved life away from God too, and they tried to mesh the two. And so Paul made this statement, and he was using, gosh, I, I, could, I could just stand here and talk forever about this, but he was using their pagan temple worship 
to drive home a point when he said, don't you know that those who have Christ living in them won't go to bed with a harlot? Now, what did he mean by that? Well, he simply meant this. Whatever you're doing, you are inviting Christ to do it with you. That's how united you are now. As a follower of Christ, you are so united that you can't just go, hey, Jesus, now I'm getting ready to go out and I'm going to have a big one here, okay? So I'm just going to leave you here, okay? Because you're not really going to be comfortable and I'm going to feel guilty if you're around. And so we try to leave them on the shelf and we go and we do what we want to do and then we want to come back and pick them back up again. And Paul's making a point that you can't do that. Your life is 24-7 worship because he's with you 24-7. Okay, so if people follow your example, would they live a life of worship? A life that honors their king. Secondly, would they, I'll just throw this out real quick. If they follow your example as a Christian, would they work hard for their employer? Or would they be that lazy bum who's living off of their employer? Would it be the guy that goes to work and rather than doing what he's supposed to do, he's doing the Christian thing by grabbing his Bible and reading? No, listen, if you're following Jesus, you're going to discover that when you you work, I don't care who you're working for, the Scripture says that your real boss is Jesus, so work as unto him. Do all your work as unto him. So if people follow your example, what kind of worker would they be? You should be known. You and I should be known as the hardest workers. We should be known as the best workers. We should be known as the workers with the best attitudes. Even when it sucks where you're at. Even when everything comes down on you. Even when everything goes wrong. We need to be known as people who can handle that because Christ is in us. That's a part of our witness. What would it be like if they followed that example? If they followed your example, would they be known as forgiving people? Would it be known as forgiving? If they followed your example, would they be anchored to the sins of their past? Or will they, as Ryan dealt with in the scripture last week, will they have put the past behind them? Listen, I I don't know about you guys. Uh, This is the one that beat me up for a long time. The sins of my past... I, I just couldn't get beyond. As a matter of fact, there was a time shortly after I'd become a Christian where um, a, a bunch of guys who, who were Christians, we were all sitting in a room together, and we got to talking about the things we did before we met Christ. Who got the highest? Who got the drunkest? Who, who did this? Who did that? And on, on and on and on it went. We sat there in that room and we just hee-hawed as we outdid one another about who was the baddest, who was the worst sinner. And you know something? It was shortly after that that God just kind of, not kind of, he seriously kicked my butt. And it was like he was saying to me, how can you, how can you sit around and rejoice in the things that once separated us? How can you do that? That's behind you. It's over. 
It's paid for. It's not you. I can say it now to the point where I'm at that place in my life to where when I think about the old Rick Clark, the guy who's now dead and and risen in Christ, uh, the guy who's a new creation, the guy who was born again, I can honestly tell you that seems like another person ago. It's, It's crazy how much God has changed me. And some of you understand that it's crazy how much God has changed you. So, so changed that, that you're a different person. I was just at Virginia Beach this past week where I was raised. And um, dri- driving down the strip, um, I'd go by places that I frequented in my BC days, my before Christ days. And um, I, I just, uh, I found myself just shaking my head and going, God, thank you. Thank you for a salvation that rescued me from these pits. Rescued me from the sin that was controlling my life. Thank you for such a salvation. So are you able to get your sins behind you? Um, Check this out just real quick. Here's six verses for, for any of you who are bogged down by the sin behind you. You're still dragging it around going, man, I remember. I remember. I got the scars to show it. I remember. I was that guy. And you feel defeated. You feel like you can't even step forward in your life with Christ because you're so defeated and and guilt-ridden by the things of the past. Check this out. Um, I got to put my glasses on, though. Psalms 103.12 says that, that God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west, not the north and south. You know why he says east and west? And not north and south? Because think about this. When you're traveling north, you get, to, you get to a certain point. You get to the North Pole and you begin to travel south. And then you get to the South Pole and you begin to travel north. And so there's a limited line, north and south. But when you're on an east and west line, you start traveling east and you just keep traveling. You're always traveling east. And so what he was saying, I've, I, I have separated your sin as far as the east is from the west there's been this infinite separation so that it is no longer in God's mind it's no longer in his thoughts uh, in Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen, he tells Hezekiah that he takes our sin and he puts it behind his back in Isaiah forty-three twenty-five, he says that once the savior comes he blots out our sin and remembers it no more. So when someone says, "Hey, is there anything God can't do?" You say, "Yeah, there are things God can't do. He can't remember sin once he's forgiven it." That's a pretty cool thought. It may not be for you. It's a cool thought for me. I mean, the idea that I would go to my father and I would ask him to forgive me. I I would I would seek his forgiveness for my sin. And then be able to leave and then come back to him in prayer and say, God, you know that sin that I was just talking to you about? And him go, no, I don't remember what you're saying. I don't even know what you're talking about. Because he's blotted it out and scripture says, remembers it no more. Micah chapter 7 verses 18 and 19 says, he's taken your sin and he's hurled it into the depths of the sea. In Romans 8, 1, Paul says there's no condemnation. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19, he says that he doesn't even count our sins against us. And then after he does all that, now I want you to listen to this. He says, and now... I want you to forgive others. 
with the same forgiveness I forgave you. And I don't know about you, but we go, what? I don't want to do that, God. Do you know what that person did to me? Do you know what that person said to me? Do you know what that, how, how that person hurt me? And, and isn't it weird that we find ourselves trying to make an excuse to God of why we shouldn't forgive one another when we bank on the fact that he has forgiven us? How about this for you? You, you, know, this, uh, you know this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Catch this. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us, Father, in the same way we forgive others. How are you doing at that? Me? Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But if people are going to follow my example, if I'm, if I'm supposed to lead others into what the Christian life looks like, I need to be known as a forgiver. One who has been forgiven much and, and put it behind me, not anchored to it, and then one who extends it to other people. And then the last two things I have for you quickly. If people are going to follow my example, am I going to be an encourager? Am I going to be known as an encourager? There's plenty of scripture to go along with all of these here just to save time, I didn't bring all those out. And then lastly, if people follow my example as a Christian, will they share their faith with others? Will they do it? If they follow your example, will they get out of their comfort zone and talk to others about Jesus? Listen, if you go home tonight, you wake up in the morning and you had this dream. And this dream provided you the cure to all cancer. You'd be screaming it from the rooftops. You'd be rich too. But you'd be screaming it from the rooftop. I've got it. I know it. We don't need to worry about this anymore. Here's the solution. And yet you and I sit here tonight those of us who are following Christ with the answer that this world is dying for. Every search that people are making to fill their lives with something is a search for God. And you and I have the solution for them. So if people follow your example, will they share the love of Jesus with people who need to hear it? I told the Christ Community Congregation not long ago, it's cake to share Jesus here. This is a cakewalk. Because you're not going to get any flack. Maybe. But, but it's easy. It's comfortable. Can you do it at home? Can you do it when you're hanging out with people? Can you do it in, in family situations? Can you do it in the workplace? So Jesus gave us, I mean, Paul gave us a pretty serious command here, a pretty awesome command. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. And my prayer for you, Revolution, is this, is that you will be able to say that about your life, 
that you can, you will take the time when we're singing here in a few minutes and, and, and worshiping our king, that you will take the time to do a little inventory right here. Take the time. What would it look like if people follow my Christian life? Will they know who Jesus is? Or will it be just some kind of surface kind of life? And my prayer for you is that as people see you, they will see Jesus and they will see the example you set before them of what it looks like to be his follower. Let's pray together. Father, I, I want to thank you so much for the depth of your love. I thank you that, that when we came to you, when you drew us, when we confess to you, when we pour out our heart to you, that, that without hesitation, you extended your forgiveness to us. And Father, how I pray that each one of us here would be known as those who live lives that people can follow. And in following, they're actually following Christ. Lord, forgive us for the times that we fail miserably, and each one of us do. But Lord, how I pray that you through your spirit will empower us and you will help us to to remember that this is a 24-7 life of living out in response to you for all that you've done for us. And as we live it, Father, may those that we encounter not only see you, but desire to know you. And I give you thanks and praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.